Hey everyone, and welcome to Unison Christian Church, the podcast. We exist to change our community with the life-changing truth of Jesus, elevate a culture of love and holistic growth, and serve as a family built on hope. Our desire is that today's message helps you discover fresh new ways of connecting with God. Now, here is today's message. My name is Ben. I am, I guess, a volunteer at Unison. I used to be the pastoral intern here, and then school ended, and I'm here. So I'm a volunteer. I currently lead youth group, um, kind of just discipleship, Bible study, and worship every Tuesday at 6 here at the church. So if you are a teen or, you know, 12 and 3 quarters, uh, you're welcome to come and hang out with us. Every week we have about an hour for worship, Bible study, prayer, and fellowship. So we'd love to disciple your kids with you, and any teens are welcome. So just want to give that little commercial. Also, I don't want to forget about offering, because that's a good thing. So I'm on the lead team, too. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, Candace said another way that I volunteer here is I help uh, on the staff team making some decisions, really just kind of being present at staff meetings, you know, um, and that's good. So, yeah, thanks, Candace. Uh, just kind of a, another commercial about offering. You know, offering is a very good thing, and we don't pass the plates now during COVID times. So I don't know if we had that slide ready, but it says there's a few ways to give. So you can give through a black box at the back if you have cash. Otherwise, we have an app called Unison Church app. And uh, we have another text to give number. So if you text you know, give, the word give, to the number 84321. That'll set up this system for how you can give electronically. So um, local churches don't survive without offerings. And just because we have COVID doesn't mean that we, you know, just because we don't see the plate passing doesn't mean there aren't very real needs for income at the church. So um, continue your worship by uh, giving offering, please, as you're able. With that, I will pray again. I love praying, so I do it all the time. Uh, Please pray with me. Lord, I take time and slow down. I thank you for the deep breath that you give me and the next deep breath that I can trust in you for. Thank you for the gift of life, even if it's hectic, even if we're running around with our heads cut off, not able to do anything well. God, you are good. Lord, I thank you for uh, being present in our worship today. I hope that this um, pleases you. When we gather to sing and we gather to give, we gather to give fellowship, to reflect you and to listen to your word. Lord, would you receive from me as an act of worship this message? Uh, would you speak through me to, the, uh, to your people that they would hear what you want them to hear? Lord, I love you and I need you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So today we are in week six of You Asked For It. This is a sermon series that we do every summer where we take questions from the congregation and try to address them in sermons. So this week, uh, there wasn't, it wasn't really a question, it was more of a, a request for a topic. 
and it was given by Rachel Took on Facebook. That's how we collect the, the suggestions, is on a Facebook post. Um, so she said, we haven't had a sermon on singleness in a while. So today, we're going to talk about singleness. And so if you're married, uh, you can leave. I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm going to preach to everybody. I don't want us all to just check out if we're not single. Uh, I think I'm preaching to the whole congregation. I just have special advice that I'll pepper in here and there for those of us who are adults who are not married. So like I said, week six of You Asked For It, season four. And let's get into it. Uh, Let me first address this, okay? I'm married. I have a ring on. I have been for a bit Uh, Before that, I was dating for a few years, and so I'm not single. Uh, Everything that I say or do can only be done through my experience, through the the set of glasses that God has given me to look at the world. Um, So this is my story. I haven't been single for much of my adult life, or I I wasn't single for much of my adult life. Uh, I'm aware that in terms of preaching about singleness, I'm an outsider looking in, um, But I invite everyone in the room today, or watching online, or listening later, um, to come to the table with me, with us. Uh, We can look at the word together. Like I said, this isn't supposed to be a sermon where I preach to just one part of the congregation and the rest should check out. So that, I just wanted to address that quick. I'm not single, but I've asked the Lord to help me uh, speak to this for us. So please listen. Uh, When I started to read and think and pray about this topic, I found myself asking questions that were a little more foundational, um, a little little more, you know, widespread than just your typical, um, you know, marriage versus singleness sort of sermon. Um, I started to think about identity. I started to think about the way the gospel leads the Christian to restoration, how it leads their perspective on themselves to restoration. And what that, what that means, what that even means. Um, so I'll start near the beginning of the Bible, and we'll kind of look at a few spots uh, just that I think the Lord was bringing to my attention as I prepared this today. And we'll end with our role in the kingdom of God together. Okay? So the sermon is called Whole on Your Own. Uh, and this is You Asked For It, season four, episode six. We'll start out in Genesis 1, chapter, or ch- chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Many of us have read this before. Uh, it's probably one of the most often read verses of the Bible, I think, because everyone starts like a Bible in a year reading plan, you know, and you're really strong through Genesis. And, you know, I've probably read this twice as many times as I've read any other chapters just because I start out strong and then I sort of, you know, my motivation... What's the word? Like it pitters out over time. Like I, I lose the interest as I get to Leviticus. Because I don't really, well, I won't address that today. But anyway, we read this a lot. Sorry, this ear thing is just not cooperating right now. Maybe I can stop messing with it now. Okay, Genesis 1, chapter, chapter 1, verse 26. I'll read it. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. So that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. 
In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. If you're familiar with Genesis 1, you know that the creation story in Genesis 1 spends the first three days where God makes the space, makes the space, makes the space, and then fills the space, fills the space, fills the space. So it's really kind of interesting if you look at it and read it carefully. Here we are at the end of day six where God has made all the other animals and then he has a special moment where he talks about making humans. He wants to give them a different kind of role to play in the world rather than, you know, eat the grass or to do whatever animals do, right? He wants someone to rule them, to have dominion over them. So he bestows his image on humans. He gives his image to the people that he made. God made this couple in his image. And before we go deeper in that, I just want to talk about a cultural idea that we've inherited. So it's this idea of being married as seeing yourself as my other half, like seeing your spouse as my other half, right? At first, it seems harmless. Uh, I like this. There's a line from a love song at the end of this slide, and it says, So when I looked into your eyes and you dared to stare right back, you should have said, Nice to meet you. I'm your other half. This is kind of a catchy little song. I, I love this song. It's by a band called Reliant K, and they're a really good band. But this is a love song that sort of deals with this, this idea, and it's really common in, in romance songs. Um, it's just kind of the way you talk in our culture. It's kind of the way you think about your spouse as a married person, right? Uh, when people say this about their spouse or significant other, they're usually trying to say that the other person, you know, they complete them. They make them whole in some way that they wouldn't be without that person. It's like their souls are maybe intertwined. And now that they've found them, they're complete. It's so strong in our culture to think this way, but it isn't biblical. It's cultural. It's actually based on a Greek myth and philosophy. And it's really interesting, and I'm, I love all that history stuff, so if you want to know more, ask. But essentially, they, uh, they said that Zeus made humanity, and it was one essence. He made this, this being that was human, and it's not gendered at this point, right? And then he started to separate out the qualities and the parts, and eventually he took from one being and made them into male and female. And then that, uh, they imagined that each person's soul was made with another person's soul in mind. So the man and the woman who you know, would eventually find each other they got born into their situations and it was their job or their entire purpose of existence to find the other soul that completed their own. It is a harmless myth and believing it by accident isn't all that bad on the surface. You know, it's nice to think of the warm, fuzzy feelings you get from having a spouse, from uh, having a person that knows you more than, you know, better than anyone else, right? Um, on that level, it's like using the word sunrise. This is my favorite way of thinking about the way we use words. Uh, you know, you might say to someone, did you see the sunrise this morning? And they'll say, yeah, I did. It was really pretty. You know, I love the colors and da-da-da-da. And if you really think about the word sunrise, that just does a terrible job explaining reality. Like, sunrise, the sun, what does that mean for the sun to rise? It's, it's, the sun is going really fast in one direction. It doesn't rise at all. You know, the earth is spinning, right? Our perspective on this big planet, when it spins, is it looks like the sun's rising, but really the sun was there and we're twisting. So you don't say, you know, 
oh, wasn't it really cool when the earth spun just enough that we could see the sun over the horizon? Wasn't that really pretty? Like, no, we just wrap it up in one word and we say sunrise. This is a fine way of speaking, and really that's a really low, you know, low impact example. But it expresses our experience. That's where it does an amazing job. It's admirable, and back to the example of my other half, it's admirable to think of your spouse as some huge, important part of your life, maybe close to part of your identity, but I want to say not part on its own of your identity. The thought is rooted in pagan philosophy, essentially, and it's not the way the Bible talks about human beings. Uh, so it's a classy, you know, a romantic thought to think about love in this way, but it's a really bad way to think about our identity. And with that, I go back to Genesis 1, where God made man and woman in his image for the purpose that they might rule, right? Uh, so the Bible saying something better about humans' identity is that they're made in the image of God. Here's a look at what it means to be made in God's image, right? The image of God, it's, it's a mysterious quality that, uh, let me say this very clearly, it's a mysterious quality or capacity for relationship. I'm going to be very careful about using the correct words here. Every person, regardless of mental capacity, physical ability, moral anything, every person is made in the image of God. All pets, no matter how much we love them, all farm animals, wild animals, zoo animals, and everything else, it isn't made in the image of God. But if you're a people, people are made in the image of God. The people God made, and thus their children, we look at uh, Genesis 5, verses 1 through 3, when we see the first children of Adam and Eve, the, the first man and woman, uh, it says this, When God created mankind, he made them in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them, and he named them mankind when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. So we see that God blessed Adam and Eve with the image and the likeness of God. And then he gave Adam the ability to make another person, Adam and Eve, the ability to make another person in their likeness and in their image. They're responsible for representing God to the world. This is what verse 26 is about back in Genesis 1. God endowed humans with his image so that they'd be fit to rule over the created order, over created things. Then God instituted marriage. God made people, and then he instituted marriage. I've heard Chase say that God made marriage for people, not made people for marriage. Right? This is kind of tacking on to an idea Jesus says about the Sabbath in one of the Gospels, where you see that um, so many rules in the Jewish community about the Sabbath meant that it was kind of a burden to keep the Sabbath. And they got so far away from the good gift that it was that they didn't want to keep it or that they had obligations that were negative in terms of the Sabbath. And so Jesus is trying to correct that opinion of the Sabbath when he says, you know, the Sabbath was made for the man, not man for the Sabbath. I think this is a, a really good parallel, though it's, you know, it's not directly a scriptural statement. God made marriage for people, not people for marriage. It's a gift that some people get, while others get other gifts. Like, God isn't just giving marriage to people so that they can be made whole. You're whole on your own. 
He made you in his image. You're a full person. Now, being in sin, living in this rebellion that we find ourselves in before we come to Christ, we sort of see that we forget about who we are. We forget about what God asked his people to do to represent him before the world. We make decisions that only value money instead of valuing the environment or instead of valuing someone's well-being. You know, if we're a boss and we're making a, a decision about our business, we're going to put our worker through more you know, stress and mental strain than, than is necessary or really any. You know, we're not getting into deep philosophy there, but the point is uh, when you're made in the image of God, which every person is, and you remember what it means, you're responsible to uh, represent God before the world and represent the world before God. Um, someone liked that, maybe. I don't know. Or maybe he didn't. I don't know. Um, our sin basically forgets us or causes us to forget who we are. Right? We exercise that power in the world without rightfully wielding authority to care appropriately for the things we have dominion over. We end up picking up our cat when it doesn't want to and so it scratches us. You know, we, we don't think about that the cat just wants to be left alone, you know, and instead we say, I want to pet the nice cat, and I want it to be my friend. And then it scratches us, you know, it causes more damage in the world. When we forget what God asks us to do, problems happen. This brings us to that next point uh, to say, I guess I want to dive in deeper to what the image of God means when we represent him before the world. Actually, if you were around for our Exodus sermon a while back, uh, back in February, I preached something similar to this when we got to talk about Exodus uh, chapter 19. There's a few verses in there that I, they have become very close to my super favorite verses over the past year or so. So I'll go there now. Exodus 19 verses 5 and 6. And here it is on the slides. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So this is God giving Moses the call to institute the law, to, to restore the covenant with with God and create a new covenant so that God could relate with his people and his people could relate with him. And he says, if you do this right, guess what you'll be? A kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Certainly we know they did not do this right. No one really does this right all the time. We only have faint little flickers here and there where we really, really operate in this part of the image of God, right? A kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Focused on bringing the, need, the people's needs before God and on bringing the word of the Lord before the people around you. If you think about a priest, what do they do? You can think of a Catholic priest or a priest of any religion or anything. A person who is called a priest, they perform religious rites and they teach the people. I know I'm on a really big rabbit trail and I said this was about singleness and we'll get there, I promise. Just come with me, okay? So a priest represents the people before God. He takes their needs or she takes their needs to God, prays for them, asks God for help for them, tries to meet their needs in, in a real way. They, they are on behalf of the person that, that God has given them to watch or to, to represent, to love. And also, they act as a go-between between God and the people, the other way too. 
they bring the word of the Lord to the people. They, um, they tell the people kind of what God wants. That's exactly what you see Moses do quickly here in, in Exodus, where he goes up on the mountain and he comes back with God's word. He's acting as a priest for those people. So each, each whole person on their own was made in God's image and given the call to responsibly represent him as a priest in this world, relating God to the people and the people to God. A great verse to look at for this is 1 Peter 2 or else 2 Peter 2. I didn't think of it till just now, but it's where, where, God, or where Peter gives the... He connects the dots from the Old Testament idea of the image of God uh, with the believers that he's writing to. And he says, you are called to be a kingdom of priests. And he kind of dives into it. And you should look there if, you, if you're interested in that. So far, we talked about two elements of our identity of, as believers. We talked a little bit about how they relate to marriage and singleness, right? The last point that stuck out to me in this conversation is this. At all times, Christians are anticipating the return of God. So this dynamic of seeking to serve the kingdom of God is up and running in all the early churches of the New Testament. Right? The church in Corinth had a specific situation that speaks to us about this. And with that, we'll go to the last passage for this morning, 1 Corinthians 7, verses uh, 25 through 38. So this is one of the most, well, this is the most common passage that people look at when it comes to marriage and singleness in the Bible. And it looks like it speaks directly to uh, the situations that we might find ourselves in. And I would say it, it does have good principles, but really putting a, a passage in its context makes it difficult to map anything the Bible says one-to-one to our lives. It's still good, but we can't just say, oh, well, here it says this, so this is what I'll do. Like, that's not really getting at what it means or what it's trying to say at all. So I want to take some time and, and sort of talk through this as we go. I'm not going to try to explain it all or read it all except for a few verses, right? 1 Corinthians 7, I'll read verse 25, and then I'll, I'll tell you the verses as I get to them. So verse 25, Now, about the unmarried, or about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis... I think that it is a good man, or it is good for a man to remain as he is. So, with all of, everything we talked about so far, being made in the image of God, representing God before the world and the world before God, and seeking to obey Jesus the way he asks us to, serving his kingdom, serving the needy, following him, and being his disciple. With all that in mind, Paul says this I have no command from the Lord about the unmarried. But I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Skip that little. Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. So Paul is saying, hey, I've given you commands. I've given you instructions. I've related the Lord's word to you in many ways. And now I'm going to give you my opinion. Now I'm going to stop and I'm going to say, because of all of this, here's what I think you should do. And Paul says, I think you should remain as you are. I think you shouldn't change status because it will distract you. The rest of the passage sort of goes on to talk about this. Uh, For a Christian to be divided, for a Christian to be so focused on either finding a spouse 
focused on missing their spouse, focused on whatever, for whatever reason that you're single, it will distract you from the kingdom of God. And so Paul says, uh, don't focus on that. Instead, focus on the kingdom of God. Now, I'm not saying this is one-to-one what we should do. This is just what Paul said to this community. I'm going to read verses 32 through 35. It's still talking about the same uh, sort of things I just said. Verse 32. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way, in undivided devotion to the Lord. A really clear parallel for this, and not in terms of marriage and singleness, but in terms of the distractions of wealth, is Jesus and the rich young ruler. Right? Jesus is going around teaching, he's giving his message of, of freedom, his message of repentance, his message of follow me, take up your cross and follow me. And this, you know, this rich young man who's, who's pious, who's been a good Jew his whole life, he comes to him and says, all right, I've done everything that's, that the law says since I've been a child. Now what must I do? And Jesus says, get rid of your wealth and give it to people who need it. And he goes away sad because he was very wealthy. This is a, a distraction that the rich young ruler gave into. He said, you know what? I have so much money. I can't just, I can't just throw it away. Uh, and maybe he came to faith later. I don't know. The point is that in the story, at that moment, his money was more important to him than following Jesus. And so I say this, not just to married and not just to single Christians. If anything is more important to you than, than Jesus, it, it becomes an idol. It's not something that should be more important to you than Jesus. Um, he said this to them, that great main principle uh, to pull out from this passage is to be sold out to the gospel. So eager for Christ's return that you don't have time for distractions. And I say distractions as a married person. So I, I'm fully aware that it's not really a distraction in some people. It feels like this, you know, that the Lord giving you a spouse would complete your soul. It feels that way. And it's okay to feel that way. It's okay to have needs and feel uh, the desires of, of closeness and having this, you know, a spouse. That's, that's okay. God gave you emotions. They're not good or bad. They just are. Um, but anything that's taking up more of your devotion than the call of the gospel uh, is, is, is an idol. There's no other way to say that. So, what does this all mean? Uh, what does this have to do with singleness? What is this, what is all these heady, you know, thinky sort of theology things have to do with uh, what you'll do when you get home today or how you'll feel on Tuesday night if you're cooking dinner for yourself and you don't want to be cooking it for just yourself. This brings me to uh, something I, I just, I want to pull out two groups here and they're very different from each other, right? There's many similarities, but there's very big differences. There's two, as far as I can tell, two kinds of single Christians, right? There's Christians who want to be single and Christians who don't want to be single. Like I said, there's several stark differences between these two groups. So if you're single and you want to be single, 
meaning that God has given you a calling that doesn't involve a spouse, and you've, de- you know, you've decided that, and you know I'm not ever going to be married. What I say to you is this. Seek to leverage your situation for the gospel, for the promotion of the gospel, right? Uh, I guess I really just like referring to things that I preached before, right? A few weeks ago, I got to preach about uh, the difference between promoting the gospel and proclaiming the gospel. That was for a different question, and it's, I think it's on our podcast now. Go check that out. But uh, seek to leverage your position for the promotion of the gospel. Uh, one of the few points of that passage in 1 Corinthians that maps right onto our current life in this manner is this. Single Christians don't have a spouse to get home to. They don't have a, a person who they, they don't have the responsibilities. That, that's pretty straightforward. It applies one-to-one to our culture. Not all of that passage does, but that, I think that element does. Uh, seek to leverage your situation for the promotion of the gospel. Pray about this. Work it out with the Holy Spirit and then tell someone how you'll live in light of this calling that you have, this calling that, is, that doesn't involve a spouse. How does it look for you to serve the Lord and live fully and freely in that? Right? So that's for the single Christian who wants to be single. There's another group of people uh, who are single and they don't want to be single. Uh, to you, I want, I want to be pastoral and I want to encourage you. Uh, for whatever reason you are single, whether it's through something you've done, something that was done to you, or a decision you had to make for the safety of yourself or for your kids, or if the Lord just never brought a spouse before you, even though you asked him for one, every day for 25 years, however long it's been that you want to be married and you're not, ask him the desires of your heart. Give him, trust him with your emotions, trust him with your feelings, and ask him to change your situation. There's nothing more Christian than, wanting, than seeing something wrong and hoping that God fixes it. There's nothing more Christian than saying, God, something is, I don't understand why this would happen. I, it makes no sense at all. It seems like you're not actually in control. You'll be honest with God. A third of the Psalms are, are basically people calling God out for not saving them, right? Um, this is something we need to recover in our culture and not a point for diving into today, but lament is biblical, okay? Uh, bring your needs before the Lord and ask him to make them right. If you're a single Christian and you desire to be paired up with a spouse, then continue to wait on the Lord. There's actually a pretty good book that uh, Rachel gave me about this uh, sermon that really spoke to her, Rachel Took. It's called Kingdom Single by Tony Evans, and it came out just a few years ago, and it's kind of uh, an encouragement to the, the Christian who's single, how they'll leverage their situation for the gospel, and... Um, I made the distinction. I didn't see him make it in the book. But between the one who wants to be single and the one who doesn't, um, he addresses both of those. It, it, was a, it seemed like it was a, a good book. It was biblical. It was written in Tony Evans' preaching style. I don't know if you guys hear Tony Evans preach much, but you can really hear him saying the things that you read on the page just in, the, in that, shouting, you know, that, that shouting voice that he, that he preaches with. Um, so ask, I mean, it's Rachel's book, so ask me or Rachel about it if you want to read it. Um, so in the whole of Scripture, it's a virtue to wait on God, to put your trust in his deliverance, his salvation, and to answer your prayers. 
A good place to look uh, in terms of this virtue of waiting on God is Lamentations chapter 3 or Psalms 27 or 37. And certainly there are way more than that in the Psalms, but those are just two that I picked out. One other thing you can do if you are single and you don't want to be single is ask God to prepare you to be a spouse. Ask God to bless your future spouse wherever they are or whatever they're doing. And if you're married now, ask God to bless your spouse now. Uh, Pray all the time. (laughs) That's a good Christian thing to do, right? But to everyone, right, never forget this. Here's my last and final point. Single does not mean alone. You are made to function with relationships. Your relationship with God is the most important thing about you. And God gave you a church family to walk beside you through the things of life. Don't neglect his blessings, but lean into the wonderful gifts that God has given you, whether they are marriage or whether they are a wonderful job that fulfills you or whether they are a bunch of kids or whether they are something else. There's someone out there who doesn't have what you have and God gave it to you for his glory. Uh, So it's good to worship him with your life. The people sitting next to you are your family. Whether you have a family here that we call family or not, this is, this is a church family. Um, lean into that and appreciate them. Uh, so with that, I'll close with some prayer. Lord, thank you for upending the world when you came to fix it. Even when you made it good and we rebelled against you and chose our own way, you still provided a way back to you. Lord, whether this life, whether in this life you bless us with a spouse or bless us with singleness or whatever perspective you give us about our status, God, thank you for making a way back to you. Thank you for your word which speaks to our situations. Thank you for the family that you've given us together. Lord, we love you and uh, we praise you. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode and believe others could benefit from hearing about us, please remember to share and subscribe to Unison Christian Church wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also catch us live at unisongr.com or on Facebook. See you next week.